0: You know, Jesus was a master of using metaphors to communicate spiritual truths, and our passage this morning, which we'll get to in a moment, is another great example of that. And part of the power, part of the purpose of metaphors is it helps to ground our faith in the realities of the tangible world. So you kind of take these spiritual truths that are pretty intangible and when you ground them in metaphor, they become much more understandable, uh, much more tangible for us. We can kind of get a sense of what is actually being Uh, taught and what's supposed to be going on in our heart when we hear metaphor. So Jesus very often used metaphors for the purpose of spiritual teaching. But the other thing about metaphor is uh, metaphor means the communicator isn't just coming right out and saying it. So it requires more of the listener. Uh, When we're hearing metaphor, we need to lean in, we need to participate, we need to figure out what is being communicated, what truths are being offered to us. Uh, And so when we hear this metaphor this morning, that's essentially our task. Our task is to lean in, try to listen, and then allow this metaphor to kind of soak over our hearts and our minds and discern what is Jesus saying in these moments, And uh, as you probably have guessed by now, we're talking about John chapter 15 uh, with the vine and the branches. And so I want to read the first eight verses to you. Uh, I'll be reading from the New Revised Standard Version. It says this, "'I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit, and every branch that bears fruit he prunes to make it bear more fruit.'" Now, you have already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you, so abide in me as I abide in you. And just as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. For I am the vine, and you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me you can do nothing. But whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. The branches are gathered and then thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. For my Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, if you're anything like me, uh, when you read or see this metaphor, you tend to really look at it through a very personal lens. Um, That is that when I read it, I assume that the reason Jesus uses this metaphor is to encourage me to have personal connection with God. And so, when I'm reading it that way, it can lead to some really important questions uh, of discernment. It can lead to questions like, am I, in fact, connected to God? Uh, it, It can lead to questions like, What am I actively doing in my life to help me connect to God? Uh, It can be this really important kind of sense of discernment and self reflection for us. And so these are good and necessary things. And actually asking these questions honestly can lead to spiritual growth in our lives. Sometimes we get in, in our spiritual life, we just get in autopilot. Isn't that true? Uh, we kind of think, I, I know what I know, I, I've, kinda, I've, I've established the rhythms of my life, and I'm just kind of on autopilot, and we don't often spend a lot of time in self-reflection of how can I more deeply connect with God. And so if we'll take the time to honestly look at this passage through this kind of personal lens and ask these questions, it can lead us to really important uh, steps to grow spiritually. For example, it might motivate me to Lean into spiritual practices like prayer or silence that help me connect with God. It might remind me, this this passage is very relational, so it might remind me that the God of creation is interested in me. That the creator God is concerned about and interested in you. And he wants this relationship with us. And so there's all kinds of good that can come from reading this passage through a very personal kind of lens. However, reading it in that way is not without its risks as well, because when we see this only through a personal lens, it can also lead to a number of spiritual decisions that actually worked to disconnect me from others. Uh, that, that is, I might be tempted to believe that my relationship with God is only between me and God. It's only between, that, that this, my spiritual life is a, spirit, is a uh, private enterprise, right? It doesn't impact anybody around me. No one around me can impact me. It's just me and God. And while that may be true to some degree, that you, no one can have a relationship with God for you, right? There is, in in fact, this very personal thing. Um, But there's more to this metaphor than meets the eye. And so, similar to what Grace did in her children's passage, I'd like uh, to allow this metaphor to meet our eyes. So let's show a picture of a vine branch. There it is, in all of its beauty, the grapevine. and you see the kind of main vine there, you see the clusters of grapes, but what you can't see and what is indistinguishable from one another are the variety of different branches that are growing all throughout the vine that produce the fruit. That when you have the kind of main vine, all the branches are intertwined and they're not so easily distinguishable from one another. In other words, I think that if we can... If we knew, if we were vine growers, we might not read this so personally, but we might actually recognize that this metaphor isn't just talking to us about our personal sense of connection to God, although it is that. It could also be that this is talking about our connectedness to God and to one another. Our connectedness to the vine, but through the vine... All of us, all the branches, are connected and intertwined with one another. And so this metaphor is actually talking to us about our interconnectedness. One of the things that has struck me over the past year is the two-sided lesson we've learned about our interconnectedness as humanity and as people. Uh, The only way to solve the problem of communicable disease is to work together and this is why, like when the pandemic first hit over a year ago, the phrase that you heard at every turn, businesses saying it, health, health organizations saying it, what, do you remember what it was? We're in this together, right? We're in this together, which is absolutely 100% true. The only way to kind of solve the problem, or do you remember this phrase, flatten the curve was for everybody to do their part. We are all in this together. But what was interesting is that the way we worked together was to stay apart, to be isolated from one another. I remember early on in the pandemic, I saw a graphic uh, that illustrated the spread of disease through moving dots. Uh, and, And so the graphic was in service to that initial message of flattening the curve. Uh, and the top graphic kind of showed a, a, n- a whole number of dots just moving about, going about their, their their regular lives, right? And then one of the dots would turn red, and every time it touched another dot, it would turn red, and so it would just spread and spread, and so within a matter of seconds, 90% of the dots in the top graphic were red. But then in, this, in the middle one, it was like, here's 20 or 40% of the dots that don't move, and so they're isolated from the other moving dots, and so the red dots didn't have as many dots to To catch, and so you ended up with far less red dots. Then the bottom graphic was, if 75 or 80% of the dots aren't moving, look what happens. Look what happens to the curve. And it had this live feedback of of the actual curve that's happening. And so a moving dot in our household became a shorthand way of saying, how much are we doing our part, right? Are we being a moving dot or are we not being a moving dot, right? And the goal was to not be a moving dot as much as possible. But here's what happened. We're all in this together, but over time, our interconnectedness, we learned a different lesson that we missed people. We missed being together. We missed, the, we missed our, our friends that we meet in the restaurant. We, we missed the folks who we sat by when we had season tickets to the orchestra or the basketball game or, or like all of these kinds of moments, these like fringe relationships, these main relationships, all these things we began to miss, events and hosting and dinner. And so on one hand, the pandemic demonstrated our interconnectedness. Everyone needs to do your part. We're in this together. And the way you do that is to isolate. But on the other hand, it robbed us of our connectedness. And so we had to live then with these realities far longer than any of us thought, right? Remember the initial thing, two weeks, just don't go anywhere for two weeks. (laughs) Then it became months, and then it became longer, and then it was a year, and we're like, whoa, it was one year ago, and here we are, still not out of it completely. All of us having to adapt And here's what I'm nervous about. I'm nervous that over time, because we had to adapt to more isolated lives, that we're in danger of beginning to think that we can actually live life by ourselves. That we've had to do life alone for so long that we're actually at risk of thinking we can do so. We Americans are fiercely independent. We Westerners, fiercely independent. And so when you take that sense of independence, and I can do this on my own, and I'm an individual, and you add a pandemic that says isolate from one another, when you add that on top of that, you are in danger of beginning to say, I'm going to move toward greater and greater expressions of individualism. I'm on my own. And so then it just becomes truly just about me. Am I connected to the vine? And it doesn't become so much about the other branches. Because going into the pandemic, our culture was already headed toward greater and greater levels of individualism. You know what I'm talking about. I used to live on a cul-de-sac, and in the, on the cul-de-sac, we would all drive into our private little street, open our garage doors, pull in, and close the garage door, <laughs> And like, we had to work for months to try to get together in a (laughs) cul-de-sac, right? So we were kind of moving more and more towards greater individualism, more and more toward independent lives. I got this on my own, seeing ourselves as autonomous people who don't want to coordinate and don't want to collaborate with others, and believing that when we face a problem, I can solve it all by myself, and so I don't need to ask for help. I'd be willing to bet that I'm not the only one who fights this kind of fierce individualism in my life, that man, when I face a problem, I'm the last person that wants to ask for help because I've got this on my own, right? Living on neighborhood street, everybody has little postage stamp yards, Right? And every single house has their own high-powered mower that can run for half a day without any, you know, like, like we all have these little things. It takes 10 minutes to mow, but we've all got our own equipment because we're good to go. And I don't want to share, right? We live with this fierce independence, this fierce individualism. I came across a study this week that showed, it turns out that our interconnectedness or our sense of individualism. In other words, our approach to life as being communal or individual is actually tied to our economic status. The Harvard Business Review reported in 2017 that economic status contributes to a person's feeling of connectedness uh, or independence. Here's what the article says, quote, People from working class backgrounds tend to understand themselves as interdependent with and highly connected to others. Parents in these backgrounds or with these backgrounds teach their children the importance of following the rules, of adjusting to the needs of others, in part because there's no economic safety net for them to fall back on. So common sayings for these parents include, you can't always get what you want, and it's not always about you. And these sayings portray values such as solidarity, humility, and loyalty. The quote continues, or the article, article continues, in contrast, people from middle and upper class contexts tend to understand themselves as independent from and separate from others. In these contexts, parents teach kids the importance of cultivating their personal preferences, their own needs, and their own interests. So common sayings in these contexts include, the world is your oyster, and your voice matters, which indicate values of uniqueness, self-expression, and influence. Wow. Now, another article also published in 2017, this one by Psycholo- the magazine Psychological Science, showed that the values of individualism are increasing around the world as, country- as developing countries get wealthier. Here's a quote from that article, quote, increased socioeconomic development was the strongest predictor of increased individualism over time. And various aspects of development that were related uh, to increases in individualism particularly increases in the proportion of white-collar jobs, education levels, and household income." End quote. Here's the thing. As you achieve the so-called American dream of education and income, you are more likely to become less connected to others and more focused on your life as an individual rather than as a collective whole. Now, am I saying there's something bad about progress or about nations living in poverty becoming wealthier? Absolutely not. What I'm saying is that as people of faith positioned in the richest country this world has ever known and a congregation that is made up of mostly middle and upper class folks, we need to hear the message that God is the vine and we are the branches. That there, there's nothing wrong with progress. There's nothing wrong with greater levels of wealth. But as you experience that, as you climb the so-called ladder, as you experience the American dream, you have to fight like crazy to not become so autonomous to think, I just got everything figured out. And I don't need any help. Because what that eventually leads to is I don't even need God. I don't need, first, I don't need others. But then I don't need God. Because I've got this all on my own. This kind of fierce, autonomous individualism. I've got this. I can do it on my own. And so it's fascinating, isn't it, to consider how people in different parts of the world or in this part of the world, but based on their economic status, will read this metaphor differently, that for Westerners or upper upper middle class folks will read this and say, this is just about me and God, my personal connection to him. But others may read this and recognize this is about a connectedness to God, yes, but then also to others. God is the vine, and we are the branches. And just in case you think I'm going off and and just crazy off the deep end, in the Greek, the you in verse 5 is plural. I am the vine, and you all are the branches. It's not a singular you. It's a plural you, but in English, it's just you, unless you're in Texas, then it's y'all, right? But otherwise, everywhere else, it's you, and it could mean you, or it could mean you, right? And so in verse 5, I am the vine, you all are the branches. Apart from me, you all can do nothing, and if if you all will abide in me, and my words will abide in you all, then ask for anything you wish. And so the picture of the vine is meant to draw us into a sense of connectedness to one another and to God. And so what it means then to live on the vine is to live in organic community shaped by the love of Jesus. What does it mean to live on the vine? It means to live in organic community shaped by the love of Jesus. And it is the community's role and responsibility to work to bear fruit in the world. I I dream of a church that will bear as much fruit as the picture that we showed. That out out of the church's connection to God and to one another, much fruit will be born into the world that would point people to the beauty of the gospel. That's the kind of church I dream of. And I don't mean just this church, but I mean the capital C church, that we would regain a witness, a ra- be a radiant church in the world that would bear fruit. Because it isn't just about me doing works for God, right? If we're reading this through a personal lens, and it's like my life has to bear fruit, then, it's like, then what, how do we usually translate that? I need to, I need to do more work for God, right? Right? We'll maybe talk, I think we'll talk next week about this passage again. We are going to, it's not like I think. We are going to talk about this again. (laughs) It's like, I'm not quite sure where we're going to go, but, um, so we'll talk about this next week, so I don't want to give too much away, but ultimately where it lands is this relational love. And so it's the role of of the community to reveal ourselves as disciples of the God of love. And of course, there is personal practice of faith in the midst of that, right? There's personal practice of faith and there's personal connection to God and there's personal fruit in our lives. All of those things are true, but could it also be true, or I want to point out, that those personal realities are relational realities. Love requires relationship. Connection to God is relationship. Bearing fruit in the world comes from relationship, and so even if we look at this from a personal lens and say, I'm drawn into all of these things, what we're drawn into are relational realities. And so the community helps me have a deeper connection with God. And as I'm, and as I'm in the community and the community bears fruit, then so do I. And so too much emphasis then on the personal and you might think you can practice faith apart from the vine or other branches too much emphasis on the community and the faith will never be yours and you won't participate in the work of the community did you hear that okay so too much emphasis on the personal and you can think you practice you can, you'll think that you can practice faith apart from the vine and the other branches Too much emphasis on the community and the faith will never become your own. And you won't participate in the fruit that is being born as a community. And so what God's design is for us to fully engage with both. To see our interdependence upon one another and our dependence upon God. And so here's what I invite you to do. I invite you to think about how can I live on the vine? How can I intertwine with the other branches? And so we kind of come to a place in our lives where we don't really want to inconvenience people, and we don't want to be inconvenienced. And so, that, so we tend to just kind of keep to ourselves. So, so here's one invitation. One invitation is to inconvenience yourself to connect with, to help, or spend time with someone else. Let me tell you a story. Um, we, as many of you know, have been very, very cautious in our approach to this pandemic. And so, uh, until last night, have not eaten inside of a restaurant. So we're kind of, we're both fully vaccinated now, and we're like, restaurant, woo, you know? Um, and so, I occasionally we're eating outside on patios and we're having food delivered we're doing all this stuff but wanting to get together with a friend so we have this scheduled we're gonna eat outside on a patio it's gonna be great Um, and it's like 34 and misting so I text my friend and I'm like hey it's 34 and misting and we have a lunch appointment what are your thoughts and my brilliant friend replies, I think you should wear a jacket. <laughs> and so, I, like, here I was, ready to bail. It's too cold. It's this or that. And my friend was just like, let's get together, man, like, because connection matters, right? And he didn't say that. It wasn't like this big discourse on vine and branches and interconnectedness. It was none of that. It was like, wear a jacket, dude. We're doing this, Right? And I was inconvenienced by it. It was an inconvenience. It was cold. It was chilly. It was the food got cold really fast. But it was time together and connection. And I don't know what that looks like with you or what your comfort levels are. And you may be like, that's ridiculous. Just get together inside in a house with people. Fine. That's great. Whatever it is, be willing to be inconvenienced for the purpose of connection. Amen. Here's another one. Here's another invitation for you be willing to ask for help when faced with a problem. When you're overwhelmed, when you aren't sure if you've got enough in the tank to get this done, whatever it is, if you don't know how to quite solve this problem or you don't know how to quite approach this or, or you need someone to help you with that, be willing to humble yourself and recognize that there are branches all around you more than willing to step in and help. And a lot of times, it's our fierce independence, our, our sense of I am completely autonomous on my own and we, the pride swells up and we won't just ask for help. You know, I can't ever remember regretting Asking for help. Maybe I have a time or two, but I can't remember it. Because more often than not, when I'm willing to just humble myself and say, you know what, I don't, I don't, have, I don't got this. <laughs> I need help. I need someone to come alongside of me. What I have found is are people more than willing to step in and offer a lending hand. Let me add some nuance here. This does not mean that you broadcast your problem or problems to everyone, right? Uh, This does not mean that every interaction is centered on you and your challenges or struggles or problem. This means finding a group of people, a small group of people, of friends that can come alongside of you that you can be honest with, right? My other invitation is to commit Uh, to make plans to reconnect with someone that maybe you haven't talked to much in the last 13 months. Maybe it was a relationship that was growing that uh, just for whatever reason has come to a halt over the last 13 months, 13, 14 months. And and it's like, man, I really miss that person. Maybe it's a fringe thing. Um, I I don't know the circumstances. Of course, they're all gonna be different, but maybe there's an opportunity to just try to reconnect with someone that you've lost touch with over the past few months. And be creative. Do it in a way that both of you are comfortable uh, with. Here's another idea, commit to being present with your neighbors, like your real, actual neighbors. <laughs> like the people that live next to you, right? Um, I think that's a positive thing. Amy and I are right now in the middle of kind of a messy move, and we won't be into our new place for a while now, but, but one of the things that's on my heart is, is, is how can we intentionally just like connect with the people that are around us? Um, And and we don't know how we're gonna do that yet. And we don't even know who they are, because we're not there. But that's kind of one of the things that's just stirring in me. I think you understand what I'm trying to get at today, which is God is the vine, we are the branches. And these are just ideas of how we might live into our interconnectedness and fight against this sense of like just radical autonomy and individualism. Um, But I would encourage you to allow the Spirit of God in your life to reveal what it might look like for you to live life on the vine, okay? Let's say a word of prayer. God, we're thankful for this beautiful metaphor that encourages us today and in many ways challenges us Uh, maybe calls us into a shared life that maybe we're not comfortable with, certainly we're not used to um, in the lives that we've lived over the past few months. And Lord, protect us from the danger of thinking we don't need others. Uh, Protect us from the the danger of uh, isolation. And so God, um, may we each and every one be personally connected to you. That's so important but may we also do our best to live into this kind of shared life that you invite us into. And so God, um, help us to respond to these invitations. Maybe the the Spirit of God would want to stir a, a totally different kind of invitation in our lives and in our hearts. Lord, may we receive whatever you would say to us today. Lord, we love you, we give you thanks, and we give you praise.